From the studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another ripping hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. What's to blame when you awaken to a ripped up lawn? And is something called seven the answer? On today's show, we'll reveal why the answer to question number two is a resounding no, and name five of the usual suspects when turf is suddenly tattered. Plus, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy dragging cut trees across the tundra. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and curiously cajoled, congratulations. So keep your ears and maybe your eyes right here, Jan teens, because it all starts right now. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, what is to blame when a lawn is suddenly ripped up overnight? And is something called seven the answer? We'll answer those burning questions, but first we're going to take a burning number of your fabulous phone calls. 1-833-727-9588. Tom, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tom. How are you, sir? Uh, not bad at all. Oh, all right. Pretty good. Where is Tom pretty good? Where am I pretty good? You mean where do I live? Yeah. I live in Easton, Pennsylvania. Very good. What can we do for Tom in Easton? Uh, I'm looking how to get rid of thistle. I have thistle all over my garden in front of my pad. It covers all my weeds, everything. I mean, all my flowers and everything like that. I don't know how to get rid of it. Well, the, be- more I, the more I pull, the more I spray, and the more it comes back. Well, the easiest answer, Tom, is to cut everything back to the ground right now and sell your house over the winter. And that way you can start fresh, and it'll be five years before the thistle probably finds you again. Only kidding. The um, (laughs) thistle, now, you have to admit, Tom, that you let the thistle get out of control. It's a pretty obvious plant. Um, And a lot of times, a lot of times. I don't know how it even got there. Well, it got there through birds. Um, If you've ever been in a hardware store or a bird feeding section, you see thistle seed. And that is the favored seed of finches, like goldfinches, who are beautiful little birds. Everybody loves to have them in their garden. And they eat live thistle seed, so to speak, and they eat it from bird feeders. And then they come to your house and poop it out all over your garden and landscape. So the answer, and you probably in the past, when it first got started, you admired the beautiful flowers, right? No, not really. I, I didn't even know what they were. I tried to pull them out, and the more I pulled them out, the worse they got. Yeah, they're, uh, <clears throat> first of all, a lot of times when you see a patch of thistle, it is one big plant all coming out of a single root system. And pulling, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, no problem. I got the same thing. And it's that time of year. I'll be sick yeah. for Christmas. Anyway, pulling is thought to stimulate a hormone that forces more shoots to come up out of the ground. So the preferred answer is to prune or weed whack everything down. Now, it takes a year, a full season, maybe even a season and a half. But if you 
because now you know what the plant looks like at every age, right? When it first comes right. up, when it gets a little taller. Your goal. I guess the blue flowers on it. No, you never want to see those flowers again. See, that's the point. That's the point, right. You don't even want to see good-looking leaves. You want to whack the little baby plants down before they develop enough leaf structure to take in solar energy because now they're just be fed by the root system. So if you keep killing the leaf, killing the plant before the leaves can bring in any energy, you'll exhaust the root system and the plant will die naturally. I know it sounds like it's, it's a lot of work, but the longer you have let the thistles live, so to speak, the longer you've let them propagate and raise a family. You may have fourth generation thistles already, Tom. Um, I don't know, but I, I know the person that has it, that plant that had, feeds the birds a thistle. And I don't know why they go just around my garden in the in the yard. Uh, it's not there's none in the yard. It's just around the patio in the flower garden. It's probably good. It's probably because there's places for them to sit. Uh, yeah, so, on a railing probably. Yeah. Um. So you you have a neighbor who you know is feeding thistle. Yes. Okay. Yes. Talk to them about it. Show them all your beautiful thistle plants and see if they can <laughs> move the feeder or just change to feeding the bird suet in the winter time that's much better for the birds um yeah. now um do not feed your garden during this time don't put any food down because you're killing the thistles remember that you want to weed right. whack the ones that are out in the open the ones that are inside a garden around plants i recommend a flame weeder um, you know, Burnsomatic, the people who make the little propane torches for heating yes. up pipes and everything, they make yes. one for outdoors called the Yard and Garden Torch. It's very cool. You screw a propane cylinder, camp stove size, into the base of a shepherd's hook, and then you stand up and there's an igniter. Um, and you just toast the plant that's coming up that you want to kill. But it's very concise. It's very precise. You can just kill the one plant and not harm the plants around it. So as the season progresses, all the stuff that's in with other plants, you can just go out and do 10 minutes of flaming. Best time to do that is at the hottest part of the day. And you won't be bending over. You won't be pulling. You won't have to prune. Just fire up your flamethrower and go out and kill thistles. And again, oh, yeah. after a year, this is what we call the rope-a-dope method of weed control. You just beat it up until it's so weak that you've exhausted the root. Okay. I'll try it, see what happens. I don't know what else to do here because it's just, it's just, it's just got everything covered. No yeah, don't waste. Do. Yeah, don't waste your time with chemical herbicides. They don't work very well on thistle, but they'll kill all your other plants. Get a flame, yeah, get a flame weeder, Tom. It's a guy's tool. You don't want to have a flamethrower? Come on. What's I, wrong? I never heard of it, but I'll look, I'll look it up at Home Depot. Uh, you might not find it at Home Depot. Go online and uh, punch Amazon in. Amazon or something. Yeah, punch, punch in flame weeder. If you don't see it right away, punch in burn somatic. Okay. All right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. Good luck, Tom. Yeah, I got one more question if you can answer it for me. Uh, is it related? No. Well, <laughs> what is it? I just want to know... Uh, is it too late to plant garlic? Do you have... No, 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 no. Stop, stop. Do you have planting garlic in hand? Yes. Get it in the ground. Oh, okay. Because there's nothing All else right. you can do with it but cook. Yeah, I know. 
the, the heads may not be as big as they should next year, but wait for the first thaw, put it in the ground, and light a candle to the Blessed Mother. All right, buddy. All right, Tom. Good luck, sir. Yep, thank you. Bye-bye. 1-833-727-9588. Chris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, thanks for being had, Chris. Where are you, man? I'm in Ocean View, Delaware. Now, uh, is that a beach town? Yes, it is. It's about two miles inland from Bethany Beach. Oh, okay. Two miles inland, though, you say? Yeah. So you still have to drive to the ocean. That's correct. So where do you get the ocean view, Chris? Is there like a, <laughs> a giant building you get up on, you know, like you climb up the water tower? I think in the uh, 1900s, early 1900s, when they were establishing the town, it was uh, a real estate ploy. <laughs> ocean view, Delaware, but only if you personally are 100 feet tall. Yes, that's correct. All right. What can we do for Chris in Ocean View, Delaware? Well, Mike, um, for the past several years, I've been trying to grow cabbages both in the spring and in the uh, fall. And my cabbage heads, if I'm lucky, get about the size of a softball. I was wondering if there's something I could do um, in order to try and get a, at least a little bit better, maybe a small basketball size. Cabbages are funny, Chris. They really do prefer um, a lot of light and a long growing season. But as you already know, uh, they do not do well over the summer. They turn bitter. They may bolt. Um, and the time to grow them is in the spring and fall, which traditionally, of course, um, you're catching some of the shortest hours of daylight of the growing season. So you got to be pretty clever. Are you growing them direct from seed? Are you starting your own from seed? Are you buying plants? Yes. All three? All three. Now, when you start your own plants from seed, um, do you do fast maturing varieties? There are, I, I would say the cabbages are bred for different parts of the country, really. When I was yeah, up. My, I'm sorry. Yeah, when I was when I was up in Juneau in Alaska, I saw the I saw cabbages uh, as as big as the president's head. I mean, they were enormous, and that's because they really don't have summer up there, and they have those insane like periods of constant daylight almost. So, um, are you specifically choosing fast maturing varieties? Well, I have tried uh, a 50-day variety, a 63-day variety, and a 105-day variety. Well, the 50-day variety and the 60-day variety would be excellent choices for your climate. Now, when you start your own seed indoors, when did you start it? In the spring, I'll start it probably around the end of March, and in the fall, I'll do it in the middle of August. Okay. Um, March. Yeah, that's that's about right. Do you grow them under strong artificial light? No, I've been growing them outdoors. Um, well, in the fall, I grow them outdoors, and um, in the spring, I use. I have a, a, a window a room that faces east, mm -hmm. and I'm using. I'm growing them in that window. Yeah. See, don't forget um, a sunny windowsill is Latin for "I'm sorry your plants look that way." Mike. I, 
I, I suspected that I was probably not growing them properly. So I did, I have bought them, purchased them, mm-hmm. and I still had the same results. I fed them some uh, blood, blood meal. Ooh, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a natural fertilizer, but it's a slaughterhouse product. Um, and I know that they love nitrogen. You know what you could use, what would be great for cabbages, is corn gluten meal. Um, okay. Composted chicken manure. You know, the blood is, is nasty to work with. Um, you, those are your two best high nitrogen natural fertilizers. And, you know, if the weather is nice, if the weather is sunny and warm, don't skimp on the fertilizer. But if it's like we had this season, if it's wet and cloudy, call back on the fertilizer because the plants just can't grow as quickly. For instance, whatever happened for you last year was not your fault because of all the the deluge of rain and the crazy temperatures. Yeah, very good. Thank you so much. 1-833-727-9588. Laura, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Laura. How are you? I'm doing well. Good, good. Where is Laura doing well? I'm calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, excellent. Are you listening? Do you get us on broadcast out there? Do you listen on WISO? Um, no, I typically just listen to you through my podcast app on my phone. We got a lot. We have a million listeners a year on the podcast. Is that amazing? Yeah, that's great. All right. So what can we do for Laura in Cincinnati? Um, well, I'm a little confused about how to care for a variegated pink lemon tree that I purchased this fall to keep as a house plant. Um, so it's a recent addition to the collection, okay. and I'm hoping to get fruit from it. It's my first citrus tree that I've tried to grow. Um, variegated, to... variegated pink, huh? So yeah, variegated pink lemon tree. So the leaves are variegated. They're two different colors. Yeah. So the leaves are um, green and white. Oh, nice. And then the fruit is um, kind of a pinkish color with greenish stripes on it. Whoa! Now, this is obviously a very specialty citrus. They, um, you know, one of the interesting things about being in the world of citrus is that all of the citrus crossbreed very easily if you know what you're doing. So it, it seems like almost every year they create some new kind of fruit. Um, but yours sounds sensational, and uh, they just threw a picture of it up in front of me. Um, what a gorgeous, kind of weird-looking. Yeah. You know, it almost looks like it should be lemon-lime. It should be a 7-Up fruit or something, you know. I figured that's where they get pink lemonade from. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and the inside is pinkish. Huh, mm-hmm. that's crazy. No, they must have... Um, there must be some blood orange or orange in the mix somewhere. But again, they can cross these uh, citrus plants like crazy, especially when they're going to be kept indoors most of the time and have a sheltered life. So when did you get it? Um, I got it, I want to say, back in September. or No, it was when it was just starting to get cold because I remember I was a little concerned about the shipping. I ordered it online. Okay. Um, so I probably got it late October, early November. Okay, so this is a, a real recent addition to the family. Yeah. Uh, did mm-hmm. you pot it? I'm sorry? Did you pot it? Did you pot it up yourself, or you still sticking no, with what they shipped I, it I in? I actually asked the um, uh, grower mm-hmm. 
when I should repot it, and he suggested that I wait until spring if I can, and it seems to be in a big enough pot and happy in those regards, so I was just going to wait till spring to repot it up. Oh, absolutely. You never want to add stresses to a plant because obviously the shipping is stressful, the time of year is slightly stressful. Okay, so is it getting the best sun that your house can provide? Yes, it's in a south-facing window, and it gets supplementary exposure from a western-facing window. Okay, and uh, are the windows insulated uh, so that it doesn't get too cold at night? Yeah, it's in a room that probably doesn't get below at the very coldest 60 degrees. Okay, that's good. Um, And how does it look now, now that it's settled, now that it's been in place for about a month? um, How are are the leaves nice and shiny and and good color? Do you have any flowers? Um, Yeah, so when I first got it, there was some leaf drop, which I kind of expected just from the stress of shipping the plant. Completely normal. Completely normal. So that stopped now. Yeah, so that stopped, and it um, seems very happy. It actually has about... 11 um, buds coming on it, and one has already opened and flowered, and I um, pollinated it by hand, and it looks like there's a tiny little baby lemon fruit, and then the others are just um, now coming into bud, so they're still not even open flowers yet. Oh, okay. What did you pollinate it with if there was only one flower? Well, just my finger. I was hoping it was just um, one flower. I wasn't sure about that. As the others open up, move it from flower to flower. Yeah, okay. Okay, so, and uh, your question, I believe, is is what do you feed it? Yeah, so I know typically you don't want to fertilize plants in the winter, but I know you typically also want to fertilize plants as they're coming into bloom. So I was a little confused on when the best time to fertilize or if I even needed to fertilize this plant and what type of fertilizer fertilizer I should be using for it. Yes, you are correct. And even in some situations, citrus should not be fertilized indoors in winter if it's not getting dramatic amounts of light because light is the key here. The more light your plant gets, the healthier it's going to be, the more fruit, more flowers it's going to put out, and the hungrier it's going to be. Whereby, if you're just basically keeping the plant alive till you can take it out in summer, and it's not getting that much light, you want to back off, no food, and less water. Your lemon tree, this is very difficult. Your lemon tree wants to have constantly moist soil. It's one of the exceptions, but it doesn't want to be waterlogged. So typically these are planted in mixes that contain a lot of sharp sand so that there's good compost in there to hold the moisture, but there's sand to make sure there's still air around the roots. So I'm sure it's sitting in a saucer to protect the surface under it. Just don't let any water collect in the saucer and not so much the top of the soil should always be damp that's ridiculous in the winter time but don't let the water line get below an inch or two Um, use a chopstick or your finger to see where the where the dampness is and make sure those roots don't dry out okay and then as for feeding a, a perfect food over winter would be worm castings which you could you can buy in a little bag at hip garden centers or maybe you've got a friend like me who has a worm bin in the house and i'm always giving away castings for people who have house plants um you could use them dry um just on the surface of the soil then then you would water from above so that every time you watered little worm tea would get in there 
compost, okay. very high quality compost, not composted manure, but high quality compost, make a tea out of that, use that when you water, that'll provide a gentle feeding anytime. Otherwise, there are a number of good houseplant foods out there that are either natural and or organic. And what you wanna look for is something with single digits in the NPK reading and the biggest number in the center because that's your flowering nutrient. You would, so, you would want something like a, a, a three, five, one, something like that. Not, not, not that you may be able to find that exact number, but single digits and a good solid number in the middle. Don't fall okay. for 10, 10, 10, 20, 20, 20, or any of that other nonsense. Those are chemical salts that build up in the pot and eventually cause death to the plant. So a good natural fertilizer, uh, compost tea, worm casting tea, something you buy. Um, I would choose a liquid organic fertilizer if you buy that, um, simply because the nutrients are quicker, quicker, quicker available to the plant. They're available to the plant more quickly. Um, it takes granular fertilizers a bit of time to get um, merge with the soil, so to speak, and make their nutrients available. But the liquid ones are easy to use and they're available instantly. Okay. And I want you to send me a lemon. <laughs> I want one. <laughs> I want one of those crazy looking things. I'm serious. I know. I'm so excited to get fruit. I, my, I think my last question for you, Mike, is would it be beneficial because I do have about like 11 buds coming on? Should I call any of the fruit? No, I would not. I okay. would not, unless the buds are so close together that the fruits are going to be pushing against each other. Lemon oh, trees okay. and orange trees can bear a humongous amount of fruit. Thinning is mostly for stone fruits like apples and, well, apples are not a stone fruit, but you know what I mean, and peaches. Okay. Yeah, go for okay. it, because every one of those flowers is a, is a perfume bottle wide open. Yes, the one that opened was extremely fragrant. It was uh, very pleasant to walk into the room after it had bloomed. Yeah, a lot of people don't care whether they get fruit. They love the fragrance of the flowers. <laughs> and the flowers are a really pretty purple color as well. Oh, man, you got a great plant there. I might, I might get one. All right. Yeah, they're fun. I'm excited about it. All right, well, let us know when you get fruit. All right, thanks so much for your help. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You take care. All right, you too. Bye. One eight three three seven two seven ninety five eighty eight. Alicia, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for taking my call, Mike. Well, thank you for making it. Where are you, Lise? I'm in Pine Grove Mills, Pennsylvania, right outside of State College. Oh, good. I was glad you added that at the end. I know more about other states, I think, than my own Pennsylvania sometimes. So you're listening to us on uh, the State College Station. What is it again? Yes, WPSU. Yeah, we want to give them a shout out. They've been great. All right, what can we do for you? Well, I've been following you for a few years, and you've recommended using corn gluten meal for weed control. Mm -hmm. And so I initially started doing that in the spring, as you recommended, when the forsythia bloom. Excellent. And trying to be a little bit more particular with that, I did some research, and the recommendation was when the ground temperature is about 55 to 60, the weeds will start to germinate. Eh, so I, eh, eh, oh, no. Not 
ground temperature. I'm not even sure anybody measures ground temperature now that I think about it. Uh, we're talking about the soil temperature. And in this case, because this is how the researchers do it, this is the soil temperature as measured four inches deep. So if you can imagine a thermometer that looks exactly like a turkey thermometer, a meat thermometer, mm -hmm. and they stick it in the ground, and there'll be a line there that'll show them when it's four inches. Obviously, the probes they're using are more sophisticated than this, but a homeowner can buy a soil thermometer that, you know, if, the, if it went for the range of temperatures, you could also use for your turkey if you washed it out real well. But it's when the temperature reaches 55 degrees, four inches down. Um, that's the ideal time to spread the corn gluten meal because weeds like dandelion and crabgrass will begin to germinate within a week to 10 days after that, typically. I can also, I can cheat when um, talking to my listeners in, in the Washington, D.C. area, because for them, the temperature in the Chesapeake Bay is almost exactly the same as the soil temperature measured four inches down. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but I mean, you don't you don't have the Chesapeake Bay up in uh, up in central no. Pennsylvania. Yeah. No, but I yeah. Wait till the glaciers get going a little bit more. You know. Yeah. Well, I do have a good instant read thermometer, so I can certainly take the soil temperatures. But I guess my bigger question is how to deal with it in the fall. I've heard you say um, to put it down in mid August. Um, when the temperatures are starting to cool off. However, two years ago, October was by far our hottest month with a week at 100 degrees. This year, September was very hot. Um, and so I kept saying, well, it's cooling down a little, but it's going to heat up again in a few days. Maybe I should wait. And pretty soon it's mid-October and I don't have it down. And I'm thinking, well, this is expensive to use just as fertilizer if I'm not going to get weed control out of it. So I now have hundreds of pounds of corn gluten meal sitting in my shed waiting for spring. Okay. Um, is it protected from mice? It is. Okay, so it's in trash cans. It's in galvanized metal cans? Um, well, it's in plastic containers. Okay, and watch for nibble marks because it's very attractive to them. Okay, you're really close. Uh, you, you know your timings, but maybe we need to straighten them out a little bit more. When I say, okay. say mid-August, that is prime time to sow fresh grass seed um, for cool season lawns in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, you know, parts of the country that have a spring and fall. Right. That is not necessarily the timing for corn gluten meal, although it can be. Um, we did some extra research a few years back, and if you go to our website, youbetyourgarden.org, and on the right side there's uh, a box that says 500 answers to your garden questions. Um, if, mm -hmm. you, if, you click, uh, if you search corn gluten meal inside that, um, that link, you'll see that there is actually a time for fall application that also prevents weeds that germinate at the end of uh, the summer. Everybody is familiar with the weeds that germinate in the spring, but there are a plethora of weeds that germinate at the end of summer. These are called your cool season or winter weeds. Farmers are very familiar with them. 
And if you get that timing right, which would be about the same time that you would sow a new lawn, if you get the timing right, you can prevent, um, I believe it's dandelions, a lot of low-growing pesky weeds. There's a whole list at that article, which I did years ago, so I barely remember that I wrote it. But at that time, you can prevent an, a whole other uh, genus, so to speak, a whole other family of weeds. The only thing, to, and it was, it's always better at, at a situation like that to get the corn gluten down earlier than later because corn gluten will not affect a living weed. All it does is prevent the seeds from successfully germinating. So you always want to get it down before those seeds germinate, because that's when you can take out the plants. Otherwise, it is just food, and it is food for your lawn and the weeds that have germinated. But it lasts mm -hmm. for six weeks, so again, it's better to get it down earlier than later. The only caveat, the only important thing for people to remember is you can't use corn gluten meal at the same time you're going to sow fresh grass seed or overseed an existing lawn because it prevents the germination of all seeds, good and bad. Um, but you're ready for the spring. I wouldn't put any out now that your lawn has gone dormant. We've got a really strong winter out in central Pennsylvania going. So mm -hmm. wait for the spring. Put that soil thermometer in. As soon as it hits 55, spread that stuff around. You'll do a good job. And then if you have some left over, read about that timing in the fall, which I believe would be right around mid-August, and get it down for the winter weeds. And at the same time, feeding your lawn uh, for the fall, which is the most important time. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the advice. Oh, I appreciate the question. It's uh, uh, very important, and it's great to tell people about Thank you. All right. Wonderful. You have a good day, Mike. You too. Bye-bye. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up soon, cats and kittens, because we are now in the stretch. It's time for the question of the week. What tears up your lawn at night? And what should you do about it? And first, a couple more of your fascinating phone calls. Melissa, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Uh, thank you, Melissa. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Melissa doing well? I'm from Media, Pennsylvania. Just outside of Philadelphia. Yes, they do. Yeah, I love those places. All right, what can we do for you, Melissa? Well, I have a, a, a wisteria vine. And I got it at a garden center. Oh, gosh, it had to be over 10 years ago. Um, planted it, put some mulch around it, and it grew crazy on my stockade fence. Oh, yeah. But it has never, ever bloomed. Okay, so there's two kinds of wisteria. There's the kind I have, which is absolutely useless. It's wild wisteria. It does not flower. Um, oh. But it grows vines that are ropes, and they reach up into the trees and try to pull the trees down to ground level. I guess they're hoping to kill the tree and eventually get fed by its rotten trunk. And then there's their ornamental wisteria. And because you got it at a garden center, we have to presume that it is a flowering type. Um, sometimes these things just flower profusely if the person didn't expect it or if they had moved you see your most magnificent wisteria and lilacs at abandoned farmhouses. 
So that kind of tells you something right away. They don't, they don't like to please people. Um, you say you mulched it. What, what is it mulched with? Well, we just had a, it was more of a compost when we first put it in, but we haven't done anything really to it um, since then. Okay. Do you do any pruning of it? Yes. When do you prune it? Uh, we've been pruning it in the fall. Okay. Why? Um, because it's just grown so much. And when, and when does wisteria typically flower, Melissa? I'm thinking the spring. Right. And does it grow those buds over the wintertime? No. It grows them over the summertime. And so uh, what does fall pruning do? Oh, no. I've been cutting off all of the, the buds. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, no. <laughs> That's all right. You know, if it if it wasn't for people like you, I would have had to find honest work years ago. This is it's a it's a mitzvah to me, Melissa. So um, there. Well, it, the good thing is we haven't pruned it. This we didn't prune it this fall. Okay, good, good. Um, now I don't know how to say this gently, but uh, well, first of all, I want you to go uh, to our website. Go to youbetyourgarden.org. And click on the link that says answers to all your garden questions and go down to Wisteria. And okay. you will you you will find stories from people who force their wisteria into flowering um, with 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 tactics that if it were done on a human would not be allowed on the radio. They <laughs> have whipped it with chains down where it comes out of the ground. Sometimes they have cut notches out of the trunk. Sometimes they have attacked the base of the plant, um, cut chopping off roots and in the spring. Um, and not, well, I guess in some cases, if, if you've got a giant vine that hasn't flowered for you in 10 years, some of this would be anger. And in this case, the anger can have an excellent outcome because it stimulates the plant it kind of stresses the plant. It makes the plant, you know, want to flower now because somebody's trying to kill it. And the way to survive is to produce flowers with viable seeds. So okay. when spring arrives, presuming there are flower buds on it, um, if you or someone in your household would like to go out there with a metal chain and give it a whooping, um, you would not, I know, I know, crazy, crazy. <laughs> Um, but I'm not making this up. This is pure okay. science. It's actually cowboy gardening at its finest. Um, but think of actually wounding the plant. Okay. So give it a good whooping in the spring. Get out there and, you know, vent. You, you must be angry at something going on in the nation or your neighborhood or, or your family. Feel free to call out a name. You know, this, you <laughs> this can be therapy. So I have to stress it. Stress yes, and does it get good sun, too? Um, yes, it gets a good late afternoon sun. Yeah, that's not the best for flowering plants. Is there any way to increase the amount of morning sun? No, because there's a very tall oak tree that's mm. near it. So it may not be the best place for that. Wisteria is very easy to 
uh, propagate. You could cut off some shoots in the spring, stick them where you want them. Is there another place where they get more sun? Yes, yes. Out, out in the front yard, I believe, there would be a better spot. Yeah, just remember it's going to need a lot of support. Um, okay. And do you feed it anything? No. Good, good, good. Well, if um, you didn't prune it in the fall and you give it a good couple of whackings in the spring and you get a couple of flowers, then lean into the whacking, okay? You can whack okay. it all summer long. It's a plant that's <laughs> difficult to kill. And, okay. and again, there's always new frustrations and anger in our life. Here's, here's anger management that works for both sides. Um, Perfect. If you don't get any flowers at all, I'd start a transplanting uh, program to, okay. to give it more sun. Okay, very good. All right, good luck, Melissa. 1-833-727-9588 is the number to call. Matt, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, thank you. Hi. Well, thank you, and hi, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing and, great. And where is Matt doing great? Um, Alexandria, Virginia. Three years ago, uh, my wife and I bought uh, an old house uh, down here in Alexandria, and I uh, had a really good uh, size lot, and on this lot, uh, towards the back, was this really huge uh, silver maple tree mm -hmm. uh, that looked like it was going through a rough time, but uh, it was really beautiful. Um, and you don't see many old trees around here. Uh, and uh, we were kind of bent on trying to save this thing and try to, we envisioned our kids uh, playing around it and maybe building a tree house around it, all that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, we looked into trying to save this tree, and um, it's lost some limbs over the years. And uh, we got some mixed reviews on uh, from our different arborists on what. Now wait what a minute. When you say mixed mm -hmm. reviews, you mean there's somebody who actually told you to try to save this tree? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there was someone who tried to tell us to save the tree, and uh, and there were people who said it's got to come down. Yeah. So. So yep. I'm going to cut to the chase. Um, sure. If you built a tree house in an old silver maple, the government would come and take your children away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are trash trees, Matt. The odds are okay. great that this was not planted by humans, but by animals. Um, okay. Silver maples do have beautiful fall color. They can be good shade trees. Um, they are brittle which uh, is why they keep dropping branches. The older they get, okay. as with humans, unfortunately, the more brittle they get and the more branches they're going to keep dropping. You would have to have an arborist clean out the old wood from this tree literally every second year to honestly have it safe for your oh. children to be underneath uh, the canopy of this tree in the backyard. Okay, okay. So I'm sorry about the bad news, but sil silver maples are nothing but trouble, man. All right, good luck, Great. man. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week. What's digging up my lawn? Jens, that's J-E-N-S, in Berrien, Washington, which is south of Seattle on the Puget Sound, writes, I'm sure you've answered this question on a blog or podcast, but I couldn't find it. 
I woke up one morning to find my front lawn in tatters. A local master gardener thinks we have an infestation of chafer beetles and that birds and or raccoons are digging up the lawn to get to their grubs. A local lawn care company wants to spray seven on the lawn. I was hoping to get a different recommendation from you. The damage is very bad. Okay. First, the best way to find information on a topic we may have already covered is to go to the searchable archives of over 500 of our previous questions of the week at the Gardens Alive website, which you can easily access via our website, youbetyourgarden.org. Second, seven? What is this, the 19th century? Seven is an old school chemical pesticide that's incredibly toxic to bees and other pollinators, especially in its dust form which is exactly the type they would use on lawns to control the grubs of destructive scarab beetles like the rose chafer. Non-toxic and highly effective alternatives abound, the newest of which is BTG, a newly developed strain of the naturally occurring soil organism Bacillus thuringiensis. Just be sure you get the right kind of BT. The first strain developed, BTK, kills pest caterpillars, but not bees, butterflies, or anything other than pest caterpillars. BTI is added to standing water to prevent mosquito eggs from breeding into biting adults. But that water is safe for bees, butterflies, frogs, toads, pets, everything else. BTI only works against biting insects that breed in water. Now, the new kid on the block, BTG, works against beetles, both in their adult form and their underground grub stage. Gardens Alive, which is, yes, a financial supporter of this show, but also the company that was hugely instrumental in the development of this non-toxic insecticide, offers the grub-killing form via mail order as Grub Halt. The product may be available at retail stores under other brand names, but I could not find any. Anyway. You water BTG into a grub-infested lawn, and it will quickly kill any grubs who get a bite of it while feeding on the roots of your lawn. It will not harm any other type of soil life, just grubs. Now, beneficial nematodes are also highly effective against grubs. Sold by the millions in sponge-like carriers, you open the little container, drop the contents into a watering can, water it into the soil, and the microscopic predators will worm their way into the grubs, killing them in the process. Look for newer strains that were bred specifically for grub control. They're much more mobile and aggressive than the basic beneficial nematodes of years past. Like BTG, beneficial nematodes don't harm any other form of soil life. Hmm which means that you'll be rid of the grubs, but not necessarily what's tearing up your lawn, as these creatures may also be digging for tasty earthworms and cicada larvae. Now, what's doing the digging? My number one choice here is skunks. Skunks love to chow down on earthworms and grubs and are known for doing a job on lawns. They also work at night. Luckily, skunk damage is generally temporary, explains Mr. Skunk. Dr. Jerry Dragu, a research professor in the biology department of the University of New Mexico, who has studied the misunderstood creatures intensively. 
As he explains in a previous question of the week archived at the Gardens Alive website, skunks generally only feed in lawns as they're passing through an area. But he adds that this can also be a bad time of year to have this happen as those skunks are also looking for permanent homes for the winter right now and love to live in crawl spaces and other areas under homes and sheds. Or it could be raccoons. These cute little bags of rabies feed on everything, including grubs and earthworms. But beware if you have attracted these creatures. Their powerful claws can and do tear household pets apart, and their feces contains diseases and parasites that can be deadly. And they tend to live inside a very small range. So hire a professional removal service if footprints and scat reveal that's what you got. Side note, both skunks and raccoons are attracted by easy food, like trash in plastic bags and dishes of pet food left outside. Keep your trash in sealed containers with locking lids and don't leave any food outside. All right, back to suspects. Although many people despise starlings, they use their long beaks to dig into lawns in search of grubs. Keep an eye out for pecking birds. Moles are the most notorious destructor of lawns in search of grubs and earthworms. If there are raised tunnels in your lawn, you got moles. And finally, evil squirrels love to tear up lawns to hide food for the winter. If you've had a big nut drop in the wild or are missing a bed of tulip bulbs, the lawn may have been ravaged by these long-tailed servants of Satan. Now, maybe these clues alone have identified your perpetrators. If not, and the damage continues, think about installing a motion-activated night camera to make a positive ID. Then read the long-form article at our website on that creature for your complete options. Well, that sure was a surprisingly helpful look at which animals might be leveling your lawn now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail with links to all those individual suspects, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week. Yikes, my producer is threatening to tatter my turf if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 1-833-PBS-WLVT. Wait a minute, my dyslexia is kicking in. Okay, that's 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, you're tired, you're poor, you're wretched, refuse teeming towards our garden shore, ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location. Or you can just look up all this new contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you will also find the answers to many of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our priceless podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer and suspected producer is Yoni Greenbaum. Lost in the Lights is our engineer, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out what's happening with the show every day at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our website wonder is Wacky Anastasia Weckerly. Jazzy Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Kelly Hurd and Jake Morris are our video editors. Our floor manager, John DeCensis, once wrote a fan letter to Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Tyler Mann is our internist. Our director is harassed and harried Javier Diaz. 
Tea Time Tavia Minute works the phones. Regal Ron Ruche, say that correctly, Ruche, is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Andy Cummins makes the equipment work. Zach the Tackwisneski is in the house. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, is not, not our executive producer. I will swear that in court. And besides, he's late for a meeting. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I got a cold in my nose, so I'm just going to touch all the mutual surfaces in the building before I leave and see if I'm the only one who makes it in to see you next week. Hey, guys, I'm sick here. Can I get some hot and sour soup over here? No? How about some chicken soup? Come on, tea and toast. Fix vapor rub. Please bring me home a toy from the vending machines inside the supermarket. I almost have a full set of dogs in disguise. Look, I'll even give you the quarters. Ah, humbug. You should all boil in your own Christmas pudding. No, I don't like pudding. But can I get some jello? There's always room for artificially colored cow cartilage. Yum. Yum.